So today on the Friday Film Club, I am joined by child psychologist and all-round amazing person and host of the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast, uh, which if you haven't listened to, is incredible. Uh, so do check that out. It's Dr. Mary Han. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What an intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, do you know what? I love your podcast so much. Um, I'm not even a parent yet, but I it's just entertaining I remember there was an episode where you had your your own kids on um, and that was it was it, it's just I love how down to earth it is but it's packed full of like really useful advice um, so it's, it's such a good show oh thank you yeah it's a, it's a it was lovely actually having the one with my children because you never quite I mean I'd said to them you can literally say anything um <laughs> you know and you can complain about how I've parented and all the other and all the various bits and pieces and it's it, yeah it was just really lovely because I think quite often as a parent you get so caught up in the things that you think you've messed up with that you forget actually that whilst your children may be annoyed and irritated and cross with you at the time they're, they're so often grateful for some of the real small things that you think you just take for granted so it's mm. lovely yeah and uh, I I I get that now you know I'm I'm sort of mid-30s and I'm only just coming to that point where I'm thinking actually there's you know there's those little things that stick in your mind about your childhood things that your parents did or said and now suddenly they make sense sometimes it's the most innocuous thing that happened in, the, in your life as well and you just think ah I get it I get it now yeah, complete. I mean, I always remember being really annoyed. So I, my father was a doctor and, and my mum was a teacher. I was sent to school, like literally, unless I had some contagious rash all over myself, all over my, me, that was the only reason, that was the only time I was ever allowed to be off school. So at the time I was just like, oh my God, you're so mean. I've got, I feel really <laughs> awful. Why can't I stay home? And then afterwards you grow up and you're so grateful because that's given you that work ethic, that notion that actually you can be unwell and still crack on and get on with things so I am very grateful to them for that now yeah absolutely for me it was I always remember my my dad uh, being annoyed that I leave any any light on whatsoever at night and I just thought it was like he couldn't sleep with the light on or something because he was like oh, it's, it's like Blackpool illuminations in here and um now now that I actually have to pay the electric bill <laughs> I, I, I I appreciate it a little bit more my mum always used to say should we go to a wedding when we used to leave lights on because it was that whole exactly the same thing she was paying yeah. the bills but it was like yeah very grateful yeah so um tell us a little bit just about yourself generally because obviously the podcast was spawned um from your your day job right yeah yeah so i'm a psychologist and a parenting expert <laughs> that's sorry it just makes me laugh because who could ever be a parenting expert <laughs> um but so i work with families and children who worry so children that maybe struggle to go into school and or they worry about school trips or what other people think of them or they might have an eating disorder. So that's the kind of the, the day job. And in lots of ways, the whole idea about the podcast wasn't that actually parents screw up their kids and make them anxious, but more if we know this, if this is what I'm dealing with and supporting day in, day out, how can I help parents where possible put all the things in place that might bolster their children's confidence so that they don't end up with anxiety or an eating disorder or sort of debilitated by angst and lack of confidence. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is very much a, your podcast. And I, I guess what you do is, is, is as much to help the parents as it is the kids, right? Totally. Yeah. Cause I think as a parent, you don't know, you, you feel at a complete and utter loss mm as to what to do if your child is overwhelmed with something, or even, you know, just the basic things, your child's refusing to go up to bed. Well, what do you do? Do you 
let's say that that's okay. Do you get really cross with them? Do you frog march them up the stairs? It's those, it's those sorts of things. So yeah, it's really aimed at helping parents because, you know, it's the old saying, isn't it? They, they don't come with a rule book. We have to make it up as we go along. We go and ask everyone. Everyone's got a completely different opinion. Mm. There are more parenting books than you could possibly ever get through in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't have kids yet, but I, I have two dogs and um, they cause me enough issues. Um, just get, getting them <laughs> up to bed at night is, is a struggle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I can't imagine what it's like with kids. But um, do you know what, actually, while, while we're on the subject, you know, uh, so my wife and I are just about to start the adoption process. And uh, I guess this is me now, I'm trying to get a bit of free advice out of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I, I'm really curious, you know, from your experience, do you find that children who have been through the system um, have any kind of common challenges that children who haven't been through the system don't have? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot on this. There's this this notion of attachment theory. So this 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 idea that when a baby is born, as you know, as human beings, our young are more vulnerable for a significantly longer time compared to other mammals. So they can't walk, they can't feed themselves, they can't sort of get themselves out of danger. So there's lots of psychological theory about this need for a child when they're born to attach themselves to an individual. And as adults, we have an innate desire to attach and scoop up children. And the attachment is not about the person who feeds and clothes the child, but the the adult that kind of meets their emotional needs in that moment. So one of the common things that tends to happen for children that children have been through the system is that they may have missed out on that opportunity to form those attachments. Mm -hmm. And so you're working with a child that doesn't, that their previous experience is that their emotional needs have not always been met. And a lot of it can depend on the circumstances around why they're in the system. But certainly the adoption policies and the guidelines tend to sort of encourage and promote adoption sort of pre sort of 12 months so the idea is we're trying you know the system is try is geared up to ensure that children are adopted younger and younger because we we know that there's this, this what we call the critical period a particular period of time those first 12 months are so key yeah that's really interesting because actually we we had in our heads that that we we didn't think we were kind of prepared to take on um anyone older than sort of four so basically if they were in school and, and that was a personal choice for us but i I didn't realise that it was quite as young as sort of 12 months that those kind of those those issues start setting in. Yeah. And I, th- I think it obviously it will be very individual around the circumstances. Yeah. But the older a child becomes and the more they've been in the system, particularly if they've been in the system in terms of mo- a lot of movement around and inconsistency, then it can create issues. But if you've had a child who's been separated for whatever reasons from their birth parents, but have been fostered long-term fostering in a stable environment, then that creates the same you know, positive framework that we would want them to have. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, you know, when you're, if you're, as you're going through this, the, that process, I think definitely my advice would be go in, ask lots of questions because those early years are so crucial it doesn't mean that they can't be reversed, but you need to understand what you're what you are taking on and yeah. what that might mean in terms of what you might want to make sure is put in place to support not only the child but yourselves as their parents. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. Uh, thank you for that. And 
And of course, if anyone else wants a lot more advice uh, and parenting related tips, then um, go to Mary Hans podcast, how not to screw up your kids. Uh, we'll share some contact info and, and that at the end of the show as well. Um, so keep listening is what I'm saying to you. Um, Amazing. <laughs> so um, let's dive into some of the questions. So as always, same six questions for every guest uh, to try and find out a little bit more about who you are. So let's go straight in with your favourite film of all time. Oh, this is so hard. I'm a bit I'm a bit like a magpie. I tend to kind of go through like, oh, these are my favourites at the moment. I've chosen, if I'm allowed to, because for, for different reasons. So I, I'm a psychologist, but I think I was probably a psychologist as a child. I love the whole personal development, self-help, let's talk and analyse. So I love Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, okay. Yes. That's, that's a, that's a lovely that. film. Yeah. So just from this notion of what, you know, what can, what the human potential has got through adversity. So I, I just, from that perspective, I love that film, mm. but I also love Ocean's Eleven because I still can remember the first time I watched it. I've watched it so many times and I've seen the Sandra Bullock Ocean's Eight, which I also love, but Ocean's Eleven, just the cleverness to the way that the whole sort of story then pans out. I just think I love the way that it's shot. I love the way that it's directed. I adore the cast. Mm. So for me, it's those different ones. If, if you wanted me as a film to watch, Ocean's Eleven, but that reminder of what the human spirit is capable of, it would be Pursuit of Happiness. Yeah, I, I think um, Pursuit of Happiness doesn't get enough credit. I think it's a, it's no. a really lovely film. Um, and you know, one film that springs to mind as, as quite similar in tone to that, I don't know if you've seen it, is um, Wonder. Yes. The Owen Wilson, Jennifer Garner, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really lovely film. And again, um, I just, I think it kind of deals with the sort of similar kind of themes um, in a very different way. But uh, yeah. But yeah. Pursuit of Happiness, a great choice. Ocean's Eleven. I I have to say, I'm not a a big lover of like gangster films, but I really enjoyed the remake that they did with Sandra Bullock and the, the kind of all-female cast. Love that, Ocean's 8. Mm. It was so... And then, for me, it's all... What I love about it is the cleverness. So you're so wrapped up in the story of the fact that they're going to... Is it the Tucson dime, the necklace that they're yeah, going to take? Yeah. And then right at the end, they show you all of this other jewellery that they take. It's like, oh, my <laughs> word! How did I not see that? <laughs> yeah, it's a good film. And I, I actually, what I love about Ocean's um, 11, in fact, the whole series, it's... It's so stylish. It, it almost glorifies that that lifestyle, uh, which is it's probably not a positive message, but um, it's <laughs> it makes for a good film. Definitely. <laughs> um, so, I guess looking at the complete other end of the spectrum, what's your least favourite film? Well, I don't watch my least favourite, but I have very very vivid memories. I, it, I was in my teens, and I watched The Fog which I've not watched since, and I'm sure is nowhere near it. It scared the heebie-jeebies <laughs> out of me. I watched it with my brother. And I, so actually that for me is my least favourite. And probably just because I'm not, I'm just not great. I have a real cringe factor and I don't know if it's part of my personality. So I, I don't like watching reality things. I sort of hide behind cushions. It's that whole notion of something. I could just sense like, why would you behave like that? <laughs> Or why is this so scary? So I definitely, The Fog, watched it once, never, ever will watch it again. Interesting. Um, So I I guess you're not a big horror fan. No, (laughs) absolutely not. I definitely, when I'm looking at Netflix or Amazon Prime, that is most definitely not in the genre that I search. 
it's weird because I think I, I I like a bit of horror, and I think there's that kind of it's it's because it almost like wraps this comfort blanket around me, um, and like it does with many people, so you can kind of experience fear without having that real kind of danger of anything happening, right? And I think that's what appeals to me about watching a good horror film. I want to be scared, but I guess some people just just don't. And I guess that's okay. <laughs> that's normal. Yeah, definitely. And it doesn't mean that I don't like sort of suspense and thrillers. So I, I you know, Silence of the Lambs is a really phenomenally clever, really, really good film. Seven, get horrible, but very so it's not that I, I'm completely but it's the ones that are set out to be that horror where you've got that whole I can even feel it now just like <laughs> that music that gets your heartbeat racing and then your palms are sweaty and it's, you just know that imminently something awful is going to happen yeah yeah do you know what? there is an ongoing debate in my house though as to whether or not Silence of the Lambs is a horror film I think it is my wife is very very passionate about the fact that it's not but I guess it does straddle that line between like thriller um, well, it does completely when you've got that. Um, I can still remember those, the scenes when they're getting closer to finding um, him and you've got doors being open, but the way that it's, the, the way the cinematography is so clever, that yes. doors are opening and you think they're walking into one building, but it's a completely different. So I could, that whole sort of horror movie way of suspense. So I can see that it would be difficult. I wouldn't call it a horror film. I would call it more of a thriller. Yeah. But I can completely see why you would say that it would be a horror film. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what's your biggest fear, personally? Heights. Absolutely. So I can watch a film where they might start with a panoramic view, Bond films, mm. classic ones where they've got jumps and various bits and pieces, and it literally places me back in that. <laughs> scenario and I I quite some I quite genuinely sometimes have to actually look away because I think I'm going to be sick <laughs> so yeah heights. wow wow that's that's a real like that's a real trigger wow. massive yeah I get a real visceral reaction to it wow yeah that's crazy um, I know my, my mum is quite scared of heights and uh, she's absolutely terrified of flying but yeah not to that extent that's crazy yeah, flying, I'm fine. It seems to be for me, I think what I've worked out is it's where it's the open spaces. So yeah. things like um, I've been up the Empire State Building, but I, I won't walk near the edge. So I'm literally hugging the <laughs> buildings. Like, mm, yeah, lovely view. Excellent. Thank you very much. Can we get the lift down now? Have so you, it's that. Have you seen the videos of there's that, that, um, that bridge? I think it's in like China. And it's, it's one of those bridges that is kind of like a U shape and it, it goes out over like a cliff or a canyon or something. Um, but this particular one, they've they've put something in the the see-through glass at the bottom, um, so it's almost like a like a projector thing. So when someone stands on it on a certain spot, it looks like it's cracking. And the videos of people's reactions to that, I I feel sorry for them because in the moment that must be terrifying. But it's very funny to watch. <laughs> I can imagine. No, see, I wouldn't be able to just I wouldn't be able to do that I've been up this but it's in Seattle that no not Seattle Toronto that they've got they sort of glass uh, well I've got I'm sure they've got them in lots of different places but I remember going up one of those outside glass elevator things where you can look down on the floor and it was just oh I do make myself do these things because I'm there's that psychologist in me that says I have to face the fear but I don't enjoy it so I certainly will not be doing that bridge <laughs> yeah noted uh right so which film or TV character do you most relate to? Oh, God, this one was really, really hard. I 
Okay, I think there's a difference between what I'd like to think is that I'm Elizabeth Bennett in Pride and Prejudice. Okay. So very opinionated, very clever, very articulate, very driven, very knowing of her own mind. I'm probably more like Sandra Bullock in Miss Congeniality there. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even Renny Zellweger in uh, Bridget Jones's Diary. I'd like to, I thought I've had this persona in my mind as the very kind of with it together kind of person, but I'm probably not. <laughs> There is nothing wrong with Miss Congeniality, not Sandra Bullock's character. <laughs> yeah, I love, I mean, I have to say, Sandra Bullock is my, I love her as an act. I mean, I love, there's lots, I love her because at least I can identify in terms of an age sort of thing. Mm. But then I love people like Dame Judi Dench. I adore her. So yeah, so Sandra Bullock, I think, well, if I, anything like Sandra Bullock, I'll take that. <laughs> That's a that's a great answer. Do you know what? We recently binged. Uh, I said binge. There's only two films, but we did recently do a back to back of Miss Congeniality and Miss Congeniality Two, which I believe is called Armed and Fabulous. And yeah, I, it's it's a bit of a guilty pleasure of, of ours. But Sandra Bullock is great. I, I, I'd watch anything with Sandra Bullock in. Yeah, I love her. I think that I watched. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. It's the latest one that's been on Netflix where she gets released from prison having murdered someone and then it as it transpired so clever Mm. so clever again but I love I just I just think you can't you can never go wrong with a Sandra Bullock film whether it's something you know like that or blindside something where there's a real meaning and then things like the proposal which is a complete other (laughs) other one and have you seen um all about Steve which is like the proposal but kind of even sillier no, I have so, to write that down. Yeah, so premise is Sandra Bullock plays a nerdy, socially inept crossword puzzle um, creator for a local newspaper. And she gets, I think she gets sacked at the, the very start of the film or something. But then she develops this obsession with like a, a, a TV news reporter played by Bradley Cooper. Um, and the rest of the film is basically her pursuing uh, Bradley Cooper. Oh, I have seen it. It's you have? Brilliant. Yes. Yeah. yeah, love that film. Oh, it's so good. It's one of those that's always on like ITV too. Right, so if your life was a movie, who would play you? I'd love Sandra Bullock to play me. <laughs> I thought that I was would coming. Just love that. Or Naomi Watts. Because oh, there's great a bit choice. of a simi- there's at least a bit of a similarity with the hair. Yeah, I think so. I don't think I'm saying that from an aspirational. <laughs> I don't think it's an actual reality. But yeah, that's what I think I'd love. Yeah, no, do you know what? Uh, I think it was it was my first guest, Dan Bancroft. He, I asked him the same question and he said, well, obviously, if I've got the choice as to who plays me, I'm going to say Orlando Bloom. I don't think I look like Orlando Bloom at all. But if you're giving me the choice to cast anyone, obviously it's going to be aspirational. So, yeah, Sandra Bullock. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, great choice. And, yeah, I think we, we definitely um, have, have founded uh, a Sandra Bullock fan club on this episode, without doubt. Uh, <laughs> definitely. So, um, but... <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about your background, though, because you're from a family of immigrants. Yeah, yeah. so I'm a first-generation immigrant. So my parents are, well, but both my parents are Egyptian, but my father's, makes it more complicated, my father's mother is French. So we moved, so my father was a doctor, my mother was a teacher, and so we moved to England when I was five and a bit because my dad was an anaesthetist and he'd, I think he'd been actually, he'd been offered, we'd been okay to go to the US and at the last minute dad changed his mind and we came to the UK. So we came to the UK 
not, you know, I had already started school in Egypt. So I have real vivid memories of starting school and Arabic being 100% my main language in terms of ability. But but the school that I went to in Egypt, we spoke, they spoke English as well. And as we know, when we go abroad, so many other countries make the effort to learn English. We don't necessarily always make the effort to learn the other languages. Mm. So it wasn't too bad but yeah so we moved over when I was you know five and a bit um and then my dad sadly died very suddenly when I was 11 so leaving my poor old mum with three kids under 18 to bring up on her own so it was yeah it was quite interesting yeah I guess that's that's a lot in one go and I know you know there's there was six years between moving to to the UK and your dad passing away but you don't just adapt to living in a different country and learning a new language and adjusting to the culture overnight, do you? So um, I'm sure that was that that must have been quite a challenging childhood for you and, and your siblings. Yeah, I think it was, you know, it, it was because, you know, when you think back to that particular time, I'm 52, we moved to a, we, end, we settled, we, you know, dad had a couple of, you know, senior registrar jobs, but we eventually settled in an, in a particular area in Wiltshire, which was, not used to seeing people of any difference, very white. And so we were, you know, I can very, very, not in my primary school, but certainly in my secondary school, very vividly remember feeling and looking different. And in fact, my brother, who's older than me, we uh, we got into a selective grammar school. So he was at the boys' grammar school. I was at the girls' grammar school. He was called, his nickname was Huggy Bear from Sarsky and Hutch. Wow. So it was, it was, you know, and we're not really when you when you sort of see pictures, we're not black, really. We're dark skinned. So we definitely felt there was a definite sense of feeling different. And my mum, you know, was her command of the of the English language took a while. So when dad died, her English was still not not brilliant. So, you know, it was it, it was difficult. It was yeah. a really difficult time. And uh, how do you think that your experience and your siblings' experiences of going through of uh, school and growing up in the UK and that the attitudes towards immigrants and our attitudes around race, do you think they've improved? Uh, and how was that? H- how was your own children's experiences different in that respect? I think that there has been some. I, I think it's really, it's a really difficult one. I had this conversation with a, with a really, really good friend around the whole Black Lives Matter um, and I think sometimes you're you're cocooned in your bubble, and so you assume that because of the people you associate with, that um, things have got better, and that yeah. we don't we're more, we talk and we're tolerant and we're not racist. But actually, the stark reality is it's rife. It's mm-hmm. absolutely rife. And so I think my children's experience is different because they're very culturally aware. My sister's married to a black man. She's got black kids. So, you know, we are, we have that element of diversity. They have lived in an environment that has been less ethnically uniform. Mm. And I would like to think that there has been some improvement. I just think it's, it's just, it just seeps in other ways. I mean, it's just the whole, um, what we saw with the Euros and the backlash with those poor penalty takers, um, you know, we so often think, well, it's, we don't, you know, people aren't as racist. And then we're, we're slapped in the face and reminded of it so very quickly. So yeah. I think, God, it makes it sound like I'm really sombre about it. It's not. I think there's definitely, 
there's definitely been some improvements, but I think we're, we'd be naive to think that in our little bubbles where we've seen it, that it isn't happening and it isn't rife still. I think that's a, a really a really poignant point to make. And, you know, we're, we're recording this actually just a matter of days after Sidney Poitier died. Um, and sort of <sighs> thinking back to film, you know, I think we're still in this society where, you know, um, Sidney was the, the first black man to win an Oscar. Um, and although things are improving in the last few years and, and people are a lot more aware of of um, discrimination and and addressing that. I do still feel like whenever someone non-white or non-male achieves something, uh, for instance, winning an Oscar, it's still held up as an example and as a way of saying, look, we're, we're not prejudiced. And I feel like for, for real equality to take effect, that needs to just be the norm, not not a headline. Yeah, completely, yeah, totally. It just, it, it, yeah, there is all of this, you know, this person is like Barack Obama being voted in as president. You know, mm. he's a president. His, this, the colour of his skin should be irrelevant. Yeah, and I think we're, you know, it still feels like we are a little way off from really breaking down those barriers. But I guess, you know, the signs are there and I think people, we are, we are as a society more aware, which is only a good thing, right? I think we're, we're heading in the right direction. Definitely, and I think the generation that we've got, you know, when I think of my two are 18 and 21, they they're they're just not their generation is very aware and very quick to pick up each other to you know pull each other up when they're doing it if they see it mm-hmm. um so i think change is definitely coming yeah yeah well um let's uh let's pick up the mood a little bit i feel like we went on a nice uh, <laughs> time <laughs> there, but kind of going back to your childhood though what is your most nostalgic film it will have to be the sort of the sound of music and the chitty chitty bang bangs, oh. the ones that we used to watch every Christmas. Yeah, you would just come out those ones. I mean, I, I think I know every single line <laughs> of every song in the sound of music. You know, that whole Julie Andrews and oh, yeah. yes, so it would have to be those. Those are sorts of the films, you know, when I think about my childhood, those were the ones that I remember because I think when we moved to England, I sort of missed. So I've not, you know, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I never watched it. Mary Poppins, never watched it. But The Sound of Music, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and then my The Guns of Navarone, Bridge Over River Kwai, mm-hmm. all of those <laughs> I can re- are very vivid, but certainly The Sound of Music and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang are just, they're memories of my childhood, but also memories of my Christmases in my childhood. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that because my, my granddad, uh, and this is more a memory that my parents, uh, my mum and my aunts and uncles have, but my granddad, every single Christmas, would sit down and watch uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai every Christmas. So it's odd that that's just not, I just thought that was a, a thing my granddad did, but that's obviously quite common. No, we used to, oh my God, we used to watch it all of the time. My father had the sound, he had, um, he was obsessed with all of those ones. So we had the soundtracks to all of these on vinyl. And so it was like all year round, you heard, you heard all of the soundtracks to these, um, to these big movies. We listened yeah. to them all the time. Yeah, I, I am with you on the uh, the classic musicals though. Like Sound of Music, excellent. Uh, my favourite from that era was probably uh, I'm a sucker for Grease, but I do love Oliver. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, as far as musical soundtracks go, Oliver takes it for me. Yeah, it's just it's it it's the power of those of those songs. I just think it's incredible, and the and the story about it, and the journey. Yeah. I think that 
uh, more modern films are sort of missing that in in musicals. I think they like I wouldn't knock a, a, any film that has a really strong story, but sometimes with a musical, you just want a really big song and dance routine, some nice like catchy music, and just a lot of color and fun. And old yeah. school musicals bring that in abundance. I love it. Yeah, and in fact, actually, as you mentioned that, things like My Fair Lady is the same, yes. isn't it? It's those, um, it is. And it's that, I think that in lots of ways, they're a bit too polished now. Mm. They don't, it's it's more small scale. It's those large, I mean, I just even remember the sort of uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes with Marilyn Monroe <laughs> and Jane Russell. All, yeah. They were just like these huge things. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I think they're making a biopic about, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Oh, that would be incredible. Be, it will be, especially if they turn it into a bit of a musical as well. Some like classic, like 20s, 30s Hollywood musical vibes. Oh, I hope they do. I think that would be really good. I'll mm. definitely be watching that one. Yes. But finally, uh, what is your guilty pleasure? Christmas rom-coms. <laughs> <laughs> I do love a Christmas rom-com. And I like them all year round, not just for Christmas. Well, uh, it's just just as well Channel 5 exists then, because I'm pretty sure from about July, they have like just a marathon of Christmas films every Sunday. Mm. Oh my God, it's just brilliant. I, you know, I always watch rewatch The Holiday, all of those <laughs> ones. They're just, they're sort of films that you start watching so funny my children will often say mum you're like you've got a phd you're like a really clever person why do you watch this drivel and it's like because it just for me it's something that's just genuinely mindless i don't need to think mm. i can just relax and it's all of that lovely feel good there's always a something nice that happens at the end there's always a bit of a challenge that they need to overcome mm. anyway it is definitely my massively guilty pleasure yeah, I, I would watch more Christmas films if I was allowed to. Um, but there's there's a bit of a, of a, a cut-off in my house because I start with Christmas way too early. Um, so I have to be kind of reined in a little bit. But I did manage to get my wife to watch Last Christmas. Um, <sighs> now, I think she was expecting something a lot like smushier than what she actually got because when it, everything sort of unraveled, she was very shocked. And I think because I and I think that is it's a great film and it really knocks you like because you're expecting this really mushy rom com. Yeah, and it is completely yeah no no yeah. no it is really it is a brilliant brilliant film and the soundtrack I literally had to download the soundtrack immediately and have been listening to it, <laughs> but it is a really you know it is just it's a really lovely film actually and yeah. I'm terrible at I cry in films all the time I cried when I watched E. T. I cried in Return of the Jedi. I mean, what, what the hell? So I'm terrible. There, and obviously I would have cry, cried in Last Christmas. Everything, I cry. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to throw my favourite Christmas rom-com at you right now. Um, yeah. To see what you think. Miracle on 34th Street. <gasps> yes. And, and the, I quite like, do you like the new, the the remake or the uh, the original? The, the 90s version. Yeah. 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 I prefer the 90s version to the original black and white one. Yeah. 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 Great film. Yeah, so I'm glad. I'm glad I get your endorsement on that one. You're 100. It's such a lovely. <laughs> yeah, every bit of it. There's the rom-com bit, but there's also that slightly dreamy, aspirational bit, and then there's the sort of the clever stuff in the court. Uh, yeah, love it. Yeah, I feel like watching it back as an adult. There's a lot of plot holes, but uh, you've got to look past that. Like <laughs> I don't know how. 
like somehow like the adults just accepts the fact that these these presents clearly magically appear because in this world santa does exist right um i just it it baffles me like here's here's a house there you go yeah and the acceptance that something else is on its way yeah yeah i know imagine that a world where you just don't need to take pregnancy tests just yeah because because santa claus has told you yeah yeah well I think that that is a cracking set of answers from you in this episode. Everything from Sound of Music to Christmas to Ocean's Eleven, I think um, it's uh, definitely covered the spectrum. And so it's been (laughs) amazing having you on the podcast. Before I let you go, do remind everyone where they can get in touch with you and how they can listen to the podcast. Yeah, so, well, the podcast is on Apple as well as on Spotify, and it's How Not to Screw Up Your Kids. And if you want to know a little bit more about what I do, then the website's drmaryhan.com. Amazing. It was great having you on the show. Thank you again so much. And hopefully in future, I can tempt you back for a sequel. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> Thanks again, Mary Han. Oh, thank you. That's it for this episode of the Friday Film Club. I do hope you enjoyed it. And of course, you can listen back to all previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And remember as well to connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at the Fry Film Club. We will, of course, post links to all of our guest info in the show notes. So look out for that as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.